Hello, I'm Steve Cross. Welcome back to Clever People Doing Things. Once again, we're down in the basement of UCL's Chandler House, the home of psychology and language sciences, a building where we find out how the human brain works, how people talk, how we make sense of each other's voices, which means I'm in a beautifully soundproofed space in the basement and I could sit here and scream for hours and no one would ever hear me. Today I'm going to be talking to the London Brain Project. Those of you who haven't heard of them, London Brain Project are a group of PhD students doing loads of really fantastic work, bringing together publics and artists and neuroscience uh, and all the time. Like This is all in their spare time on top of doing cutting-edge brain research. So I want to spend a bit of time with them looking at what they do uh, and hoping they can be an inspiration to other researchers like them. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about what they do. Uh, I should say there's three of them, so get used to some different voices. Would you mind going first? Hi, my name's Michelle Downs. Um, by day, I'm a PhD student at UCL Institute of Child Health in the Developmental Cognitive Neurosciences Um department. So what's your what's your research question at the moment? What are you looking at, Michelle? So it started off as a very simple question, as lots of PhDs do, um, and it's turned out to be quite broad, but I'll try and <laughs> I'll try and kind of break it down. Um, so essentially it's kind of two parts. The first part is developing new um, methods to assess executive functioning in preschool age children. So this is children between the ages of three and five. Um, so I'm using eye tracking methods, I'm looking at brain waves and I'm using kind of behavioral methods as well to look at the development of executive functioning which is a range of things such as organization and uh, planning processing speed attention uh, impulse control and so on um, and the second part of my uh, study is applying these methods in children with sickle cell anemia so sickle cell anemia is not something that's typically associated with the brain um, but actually there's a lot of interesting neuroscience research going on um, with sickle cell anemia uh, in London and um, I'm looking at how these children's brains develop in the early years um, and trying to predict who's more likely to have stroke in the future and who's more likely to need help at school. Um, so yes, yeah, so by day I do that and by night I work with Louise and Georgia here beside me um, as part of London Brain Project where we don't actually do a lot of engagement directly to do with our specific research projects but we look at various different themes across neuroscience. Thank you for doing a beautiful segue for me. So uh, Louise would you like to tell us a bit about, about what you do during the day? Yeah I'm a research associate at the UCL Institute of Child Health. I work in the same department as Michelle and Georgia. So can I just double check for our listeners from outside the university system does that mean that you outrank a PhD student? <laughs> I just survived the PhD process. Oh okay so, you, so you are a doctor? <laughs> yes. Okay good it's always important to clarify on these things who's a doctor and who's not yet a doctor. Yeah so I'm working with children at Great Ormond Street Hospital um, who have a really severe type of epilepsy which doesn't respond to drugs and with these children what we consider is looking at neurosurgical intervention so removing a part of the brain to try and stop the seizures and we'll always do that by weighing up how much they're going to benefit from reducing their seizure burden and how much they might potentially lose in terms of cognitive ability or movement and things like that. My PhD was focused on the sort of assessments we do before surgery, so using brain scans to map out language systems in the brain as a sort of template for do not cut here for the surgeon to make sure we're protecting language functions. 
But now I'm looking at the long-term effects of brain surgery. So we're asking children to come back around five years after they've had their brain surgery. And we're trying to look at what predicts a good outcome for these children in terms of learning, memory, intelligence, so that we can try and go back to the surgical team and say, these sorts of things look like they get a more favourable outcome, so do more of that. And we can try and reduce the risk as well to learning by um, hopefully changing the way surgery can be performed. Georgia, do you want to tell us a bit about your work? Yes, hello, my name's Georgia and I work with Louise and Michelle also in the UCL Institute of Child Health in the Developmental Cognitive Neurosciences Unit. And um, I work with children who have um, low blood sugar, so they experience repetitive and severe episodes of low blood sugar at an early stage in life. And there's been really no research looking at the late effects of such an insult on the brain because our brains work off sugar. Um, so yeah, I'm administering a, a battery of assessments to these kids who all come from Great Ormond Street. And um, I'm looking at things like memory, attention, executive functioning, and just trying to really characterise a profile of what kind of difficulties they might have as a group. And hopefully, we really hope that might help to inform interventions. I mean, these are kind of skills that will really impact on a child's academic attainment. So we'll really, um, yeah, affect the way that they perform in school. So we're hoping that we'll be able to characterise a profile for these children and um, improve research in the future. Okay, so again, it's very different from, from what the other two people here are talking about. So you all do quite different things. You're all based at the Institute of Child Health, but um, how did you turn into London Brain Project? What caused you to become this dynamic team of different kinds of neuroscientists working together? Well, I guess we were all doing various bits of engagement here and there. Um, so we're volunteering at various festivals and giving loads of outreach talks and so on. And then one day we kind of sat down and said, you know what, why don't we do something of our own? We kind of know how to do this well now. Um, how can we go about this? Um, and that's when we <laughs> we came across our first um, experience of a um, uh, application for funding. Right. <laughs> first of many. Um, and um, we kind of did a lot of debating about what we wanted to do and um, we talked to various members of kind of the public engagement team here at UCL, at Welcome and various other kind of places who were doing similar things that we kind of wanted to do and kind of create in our own way. Um, so initially we had, of course, this multi, multi-million pound project <laughs> um, kind of lined up and we were very excited about it. And essentially it was kind of giant brains around London that were going to be painted in different ways and we were very excited about it but anyone who um, was anyone in public engagement um, were sick of hearing about neuroscientists who wanted to paint giant brains and put them, <laughs> put them around the public so um, so we kind of scaled it down a little bit and we said we'd start off um, a bit smaller and we started off with our first workshop um, which was on uh, in the area of epilepsy which is kind of something that we've all kind of worked with and know a bit about to some extent um, and um, yeah we turned that into a great exhibition and then kind of went on to the next um, uh, engagement project and so on and so forth next of many applications <laughs> <laughs> so would you say there's there's a certain way of working or a certain idea that, that typifies the kinds of projects that you do you know what feels like a London Brain Project thing as opposed to something someone else would do? Well, we definitely know what we're not and we're definitely not a sort of go to an audience, stand up and talk Mm -hmm. about science um, group. We always wanted to avoid that. I think one of the key shifts in our development from 
being scientists who want to paint brains to then deciding to work alongside different artists on each project to actually deciding to bring an artist on to the the main team mm -hmm. so the fourth member who isn't here today she's off painting some big things in America mm -hmm. somewhere wow. um, it's Julia Vogel not who's <laughs> not brains <laughs> one day one day yeah she's a she's a professional artist who's got a wonderful career already and she was we were so pleased, decided to work with us on the Numbrain project. So really that was a big shift in the way we work. Mm. And what we do is we try and approach events that we can create a hands-on, immersive experience uh, where people can make things and do things. And it's through that process that they're engaging with science. At our core, I guess, we're, we're three neuroscientists and an artist. So we're kind of the people who come up with the ideas and everything that we do is mediated by Julia who's the artist which is really great because I think when we all get together and put our brains together it's we I don't know we have a very different approach to an artist so mm. it's really nice to have a scientific approach kind of sculpted by an artist and then we go on and try and engage the, the public. So a three-way thing between you guys other scientists artists and then that creates something that you then use to engage with other communities is that right? Yeah, yeah. so essentially every time we ha have a workshop whether it be kind of directed at children and families or directed at a specific patient group. Um, the scientists there, the artists there and the public essentially all come away with something and all contribute just as much. So there's not one person who's there to give and not one person who's there to take away. Um, anything that's created artistically from the workshops, um, it's not an artist kind of meeting a patient and a scientist and then going away and doing their own interpretation. Um, the scientist and the patient are actually involved in that process um, greatly as well. So it's quite kind of a mixed mash um, of things. And I think our first workshop was quite organic in that sense. And, you know, we didn't really know what was going to come out of it. And we kind of kept building and building. Um, but, um, but yeah, and a lot of people arriving kind of didn't know if it was going to be art therapy or it didn't know if it was just going to be scientists teaching them about the science behind say epilepsy or Tourette syndrome um, so I think people kind of felt a bit better going away in that I guess particularly for patients whenever they're invited to public engagement it's often so that scientists can kind of get more information that they can put into their science or put into their grant applications and so on and we're not really doing that we're actually just creating something that we can bring away and empower and uh, teach the public about so it's quite I think a refreshing perspective. Fantastic so if I'm a if I'm a member of the public walking into the one of the exhibitions that you've put together from your workshops what's the kinds of things that I would see? Um, so you'd see a range of artworks across different medium and it's something we're really wanting to develop in the future is really trying some new styles and new materials and and things with Julia spearheading that. Mm -hmm. um, but they'll see a range of artworks that have been produced totally collaboratively and what happens quite organically is while people are working together to create these artworks they're having conversations about the topic of interest, say epilepsy and these themes emerge within the artworks quite organically. It's, we don't sit there and say, OK, you make this about seizures and you make this one about drugs that you have to take. It just all comes up um, organically. And so we hope that a member of the public vis visiting the exhibition will get a sense for all the themes that are most important to the patients themselves and the scientists who are trying their best to try and treat these and understand these conditions. 
um, that are quite subtle and in some way have to be interpreted by the public themselves because it's through artwork. We also tend to put up um, scientific information which we try and portray in an interesting way um, to provide some of the, the sort of background story as well to people um, and try and showcase some of the really exciting research that's going on that it's hard to get out to the public um, from the, the ivory tower that <laughs> sometimes scientists sit in. One of the things that really interests me about this kind of public engagement stuff that, that academics get involved in is how you can also use it to build into disciplinary links so I'm really fascinated by the fact that you're working with an artist and I was wondering whether you've got any kind of experience that other scientists might draw on in terms of how to work with artists and how to do this effectively because uh, I've seen in the past a lot of occasions where people end up kind of banging their heads together or the artist is the the scientist will come along and try and just use the artist as an illustrator of their work or vice versa it sounds like you guys are doing something a lot more fundamental and a lot more interesting so do you, I mean do you have tips for yeah I think that when you get more than one person in a room and you're trying to come up with an idea it's really you know you're always going to end up kind of butting heads a little bit and we have these these monthly meetings and they always end with us having a bit of a headache and we've all it's all got a bit tense at some point in the end of the process we come up with something really effective and really engaging and it's truly collaborative and I think that's one thing that um, everyone should keep in mind when they're working with people across a, a a variety of disciplines is it should be a collaborative thing you know it's not one voice louder than the other um, although we are trying to do science engagement um, not to undervalue the artist's input because Julia our artist doesn't have any background training in science she's not a scientist and in a way that makes it even more effective for us to work with her because she sees things as she sees the picture as someone without any knowledge about the condition or whatever we're trying to engage people and there's with. always wine at those meetings and there's always wine <laughs> so it that takes helps. the edge off a little bit a good tactic but yeah I think there's always that moment where we think we're getting somewhere and we're kind of like oh yeah this is what we're going to go with for this particular application or whatever and then someone kind of goes and I was thinking, you know, maybe we could do this. And just when, you know, you think we're all on the same page, you're like, oh, gosh, you know, we've, we've got to, like, backtrack a little bit here. But I think it's a matter of respect as well. I mean, you know, since we've started, we've worked with, like, various theatre companies, various artists, scientists. Feel free to name drop, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, we, I mean, we've worked with Lemo Juice. It's French. I, I can't pronounce <laughs> it. So. Um, and we've kind of talked to other um, uh theatrical companies as well and um oh yeah I worked with kind of various artists like I, I don't list a few to be kind of unfair and kind of other kind of public engagement groups and charities like um the Institute of Imagination and so on um and I think it's kind of one thing that everyone has in common is enthusiasm and kind of working towards a specific goal um but also being kind of realistic and kind of quite respectful of each other's ideas and inputs and time constraints and money constraints and so on. Because um, I think, you know, the one kind of major um, fallback if you sit a scientist and an artist together is that a scientist might think something has to be done in a specific way and that the artist is just there, like you said, to just kind of do it for them. Or the artist just might see the scientist as kind of a source of information and now I'm done with you and see you later. Um, so I think it's about just kind of working collaboratively it's kind of a bit symbiotic i guess <laughs> in a sense but yeah sounds fantastic so what's what's next for london brain project it's a big question <laughs> well we've come together to put um, well we've put together a two-year program that Ooh. we wish to try and fund we mm -hmm. have just submitted 
uh, quite a large grant application so fingers crossed yeah. otherwise we'll be going to kickstarter and praying yeah. <laughs> and that is one of the struggles for us definitely is securing funding and i think for any public engagement project because although there's a lot of interest in public engagement i think there's 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 limited funding and what funding there is is quite competitive it's yeah. quite a lot of competition so um yeah I would say advice to anyone who wants to do public engagement, don't get downhearted when you get rejected for an application <laughs> because it's just part and parcel of the process. You have to Absolutely. write probably five times as many as you will secure. So I do I do miss the old days when not very many people knew about public engagement mm. funding and it was really easy to get. It's really hard now. But I think one of our strengths is that we're really committed to moving London Brain Project forward and we've seen it grow and grow very very quickly and at one point we were all quite terrified because we just suddenly thought wow this has really snowballed and how are we going to manage it alongside doing our PhDs um, but yeah I think we're all committed to, to seeing it to seeing it grow and maybe even become international um, and that's why we have got a two-year plan I think that kind of structure is really really helpful um, we have certain targets we really want to stick to and, and there's lots of people that want to work with us, like other scientists and other students even at UCL that want to get involved um, and other kind of, say, theatre groups that have ideas or charities that, w- that would like us to do something kind of in their area. But kind of without the time and the money, it's good to know what we can actually commit to and um, so that we're not making any kind of empty promises in terms of our time. And to make sure that whatever we do really aligns with our interests and what we want out of London Brain Project and what, what we what London Brain Project is intended for. Because it's quite easy just to think, oh, public engagement, so broad, you know, but we're something quite specific, I think. And um, yeah, what we want to achieve is quite, quite specific. Mm. So. so dare I ask in the two-year plan, at the end of the two-year plan, are you all still scientists engaging with publics or are you London Brain Project professionally and for a living? I think, yeah, I think all of us are quite interested in kind of doing the research and doing the public engagement as well because when we started out um, I think a lot of scientists see public engagement as something that they have to do for a grant application or something that is kind of a waste of their time and isn't directed towards getting a paper into a high impact journal so it can be a little disheartening kind of to begin with but once you get a bit of momentum you see kind of the same people get quite excited about what you're doing and kind of really getting on board um and actually it's you know it's just as if not more worthwhile than kind of that paper you've been working on for a few years because when you're at the workshop or when you're at the exhibition you're talking to the people who are having an amazing time or who have really kind of come to terms with their disorder i mean we've worked with some patients that off the back of coming to some of our workshops have set up their own kind of Facebook support pages or kind of maybe met someone else with that disorder for the first time and they thought that they were maybe the only one who ever had Tourette's syndrome or whoever had this kind of really severe case of epilepsy so for them it was quite empowering and they went away and kind of created all this um, stuff off the back of it so I mean that I think for us is like the really kind of um, the moment where you kind of sit back and you think, wow, this is, you know, really worth the, the time that we've put into kind of bringing people together. Was that, that was a nice journey through the whole thing. <laughs> Great. So uh, it just it's just left for me to wrap up then. So thank you a huge amount, Michelle, Louise, Georgia. Thank you for coming and, and telling us all about London Brain Project. Thank you for uh, providing inspiration for so many other PhD students and RAs uh, to do this sort of thing. Uh, I've been Steve Cross. This has been Clever People Doing Things. Do join us again. Goodbye. Goodbye.